The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Oh, yeah, I touched the microphone and then it came on. I don't think that's supposed to happen here, but yeah. So anyway, live radio, ladies and gentlemen, the joys of. We will file that under. This is Vina Jones-Cox. It is Real Life Real Estate Investing, which uh, is your nation's public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Got a very hot topic today on Real Life Real Estate, and that is uh, crowdfunding. The concept that has launched a million zillion emails into my email box, I can tell you that. And we've got one of the top experts in the country on crowdfunding for real estate investors. But before we get to that, don't forget that if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area, tomorrow night is the Cincinnati RIA meeting for the month of June, the first one for the month of June, and it's a big one. Uh, Anthony Chara is coming all the way from Colorado to teach how to increase your wealth exponentially with apartments and multifamily properties. If you have not had the pleasure of getting to sit in on one of Anthony's classes, uh, you you need to you need to go to CincinnatiRia.com and get download a pass and get there because um, I, I I'm telling you this guy. This guy teaches more in his one-day workshops than in some four-day events that I've paid a ton of money for. So tomorrow night's meeting is uh, here in Cincinnati out in Blue Ash at 7.30. And then on Saturday, he's actually doing an all-day seminar, which you can also find out about at CincinnatiRia.com. Early meeting this week is also... Very interesting. It's about the new guidance on renting to applicants with criminal histories. I'm sure you have heard about that. Um, that was uh, all over Facebook for a while there a couple of weeks ago that HUD says we have to rent felons. Well, that's not exactly what they said. But uh, Debbie Jetter will be there from Housing Opportunities Made Equal to talk about what all that really means at 6 p.m. So again, CincinnatiRia.com. This meeting is open to the public at no charge. And uh, you really ought to come on out if you're interested in apartment buildings. Uh, my guest today is Jillian Sedoti of Trobidge Sedoti LLP. This is a name and a voice that you will be familiar with here on Real Life Real Estate because just about every time that we talk about how to legally raise money, Jillian is the person that we talk to. However, last time we talked to Jillian, back in 2014, um, 
the Jobs Act was just getting getting going. Some of the rules had been passed, but it hadn't officially been put out there. And she was kind of yeah, she kind of poo pooed the whole idea that crowdfunding was going to be anything that we real estate investors were going to be able to take a lot of advantage of. And we're here today to see if she has changed her mind on that topic. Joining us from her home in Temecula, California, is Jillian Sedoti. Jillian, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you for having me. You're 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 very welcome. It's always it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I'm anxious to answer your question. Your one question. My one question. Now, uh, let, so, well, some stuff is some stuff has changed in your life since we last talked. In addition to that third child that you were never going to have, you've changed firms. I see. There's because you were with the you were with the the Sedoti firm before, and I see you have teamed up with Gene Trowbridge now. And you're yes. Trowbridge and Sedoti, so that's a big move. That's that's good. Well, he's a super smart guy, so it makes a lot of sense. Surround <laughs> yourself with smart people, right? Yes, yes, it does. And um, I know that he he he's done a lot of work in the past. I just I happen to have gone to one of his seminars a few years back, and I know that he has done a lot of work with like the multifamily business. Like he he does right. a lot of like syndications and things like that as as an attorney. And you've uh, done some of that as well, but also also done a lot with the smaller real estate investors who are buying single family homes or notes or you know l- lending hard money and stuff like that. So um, crowdfunding um, yeah. has been the buzzword, <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure this is happening to you too. It seems like every time I open my email, someone's offering me. A course on crowdfunding, a webinar on crowdfunding, something something about crowdfunding. Let's start for for folks who might have actually been living under a rock with what this is and why it's such a big deal all of a sudden. Well, it, it on May sixteenth, the Title Three, which was the final piece of the Jobs Act, finally became legal. So I've been saying for the last several years that crowdfunding isn't quite legal. The reality is is that crowdfunding means a ton of different things. So so when we say that crowdfunding isn't quite legal, what we were referring to is Title Three, which as of May sixteenth is now legal. And and your original question was, are you excited about this? And the answer is no. <laughs> so interview over. All no. right. So, Mike, you and I are going to have to figure out something to talk about for the next 55 minutes because um, Jillian is just not excited about crowdfunding. Um, well, it's not that I'm not excited. Let's let's be honest. I'm extremely excited about crowdfunding, but, but our website is crowdfundinglawyers.net, so obviously I have a little bit of, you know, enthusiasm for it. I'm just not excited about Title Three, and it's because I don't think it's an effective way to grow your business as a real estate entrepreneur. If you want to grow your business as a real estate entrepreneur, I have solutions for you, but Title Three is not one of them. All right. And when we come back for the break, you're going to explain yourself, young lady. Because that's not what I'm hearing from every promoter in the world who's got a webinar about this. And uh, we do need to... We do need to take a quick break, and we're going to invite callers who have questions about legally and effectively raising money from private individuals at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658. 
or you can send us an email. All you have to do is go to our real, our uh, website, which is realliferealestate.com. Click the Ask a Question button and send it on over. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Jillian Sidoti, who is a an attorney who specializes in doing all sorts of SEC placements and fundraising and stuff like that. And in fact, recently wrote a book called The Crowdfunding Myth, which is available on Amazon.com. And if you're going to order that book, if you would do it this way, it would be really helpful. Go to WMKVFM.org and there's an Amazon little button up at the top. And if you click on that and order it through WMKV's website, Jillian gets no less money but WMKV gets some money. So it's like a win-win for everybody. And again, that book is called The Crowdfunding Myth. And Jillian's last name is spelled S-I-D-O-T-I. If you're busily on there trying to figure out how to order that, um, that's how you do it. Okay, so uh, Jillian, the, the thing that I think everyone was so excited about with the Jobs Act and this you know, crowdfunding, the regulation A-plus things, was you have you have beaten us across the head and neck for several years about how you're not really allowed to advertise for money. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not allowed to like approach strangers and say, "Hey, do I have a twelve percent deal for you?" <laughs> you can't right. put up bandit signs, and you can't go on Craigslist, and you can't send emails to people you don't know. And this this new this new thing was going to let people advertise. And that was what what everyone was just waiting for and so excited about. So why why is this not a great thing for everybody? Well, it's not. So so that's kind of one of the myths, that, that crowdfunding means just one thing, and it, it doesn't. It means multiple things. First thing that crowdfunding is also often used with is, uh, is GoFundMe. GoFundMe is internet begging. That's all it is. So if you have crowdfunding campaigns out there under GoFundMe, you'll get no love from Jillian. I don't know. Dina, do you do GoFundMe? Oh, goodness, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, So there's that. Then there's Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and they're selling a product or a service that they're really not selling a security. You don't get any return on your investment. So when we're talking about crowdfunding for real estate deals, we're really talking about the Jobs Act and how it created all this new crowdfunding legal mumbo-jumbo. And and there's three sections of the Jobs Act that we look at. We already discussed Title III. That's what came through on May 16th. But previous to that, when everybody was quote-unquote crowdfunding, they were using uh, the real legitimate Crowdfunding portals were using two exemptions, or not exemptions, but offerings underneath the Jobs Act. And one was Rule 506C, as in Charlie, the newly created 506C, as in Charlie, and Regulation A+. And 506C is the one that most of the crowdfunding platforms focus on. So what what do they do? They use general solicitation and advertising to get people to invest on projects and funds on their portal. And those projects and funds on their portals, which you don't know until you get there and try to invest, are only available to accredited investors. So that's key. And 
And so that part is really, really great. That's awesome. You can advertise now. You can advertise to anybody. But at the end of the day, when you take money in, you can only take them from accredited investors. And an accredited investor is somebody who makes $200,000 a year as an individual, $300,000 a year as a married couple, or has a, they have a net worth of a million dollars exclusive of their primary residence. And so when we see all this advertising going on and, oh, now you can advertise for investors, that's what we're talking about, the, the availability to advertise for investors under 506C, so long as you're taking money only from accredited investors. Okay. Okay. So these are the, the folks, the folks, you can, obviously, when you're advertising, you're not typically advertising to someone. It's just advertising, mm-hmm. right? And then the folks right, raise, right. The, raise their hand and say, yes, I would like to invest in this. And at that point, at that point, you have to say, wait, wait, wait. Let me check out your financials <laughs> before I can <laughs> before I can take any of your money, which That's do, right. does does is going to tend to make it a little bit less valuable because I'm guessing that folks who who make the two to three hundred thousand dollar incomes and have a million dollars in net worth get approached a lot about investing. That you're just you're yeah. just one more person who wants their money, and they they're they're probably it's probably much harder to reach them. And get them to get excited about say an eight percent, you know, rate of return or six percent rate of return than it is somebody who's got a hundred thousand dollars in an IRA, but that's all they have. Correct. So, like, let's talk about getting those people with the hundred thousand dollars in their IRA. And I'm going to jump back for a second to talk about what happens on May sixteenth. May sixteenth, we Title Three passed, which meant that you could go out and advertise for investors to invest in your deal. As so long as your investment deal was only on a registered crowdfunding portal, so long as you only took $2,000 or 5% of somebody's net worth from an investor, and you could only raise a million dollars. So see how restricted it is? That's why I don't like that, that crowdfunding rule that came through on May 16th, because you would only take $2,000 or 5% of somebody's net worth you can only advertise on that portal. So you have to find a registered crowdfunding portal that will even take your deal. And then you have to pay the portal to get on their portal. And then you can only raise up to a million dollars. That's why I don't like that one. Interesting. Um, and, I'm, and I'm assuming just, you know, because people don't do stuff for no money, that... Yes. <laughs> that the crowdfunding portal is also going to take some of this. So you actually need to raise more than your deal would require in order to pay for raising the money. Right. So, and not only that, you still have to pay an attorney to file the form C for you. So there's still, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. That's why I don't like that crowdfunding. So, so what are your options so far? 506C where you only take accredited investors or doing this regulation crowdfunding, which is filing a Form C, getting listed on a portal. And then finally, you could do something called a Regulation A+, which is frequently referred to as a mini-IPO. And under a mini-IPO, you can raise up to $50 million and take money from anybody you want, from anywhere you want. You know, it's, that one gives you a lot more freedom. But there is, of course, a price tag with it. And that price tag is legal fees to get it going through the SEC because you do have to get approved by the SEC in order to do that type of crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. I knew there was a catch. 
You said you said fifty million dollars from anybody, and I was like, oh, no, there's going to be a catch. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I know. It's 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 funny because I even hesitate on on uh, mentioning it because a lot of people go like, but I don't have any monies to pay legal fees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so roughly, if if you wanted to do the regulation A plus mini IPO thing, roughly, what's that mm-hmm. going to set you back in terms of? getting to the attorney, getting all the paperwork written up, getting it submitted to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's a lot of stuff involved in it. And this is what I tell people when they come to my office. Do not come to me to do this unless you have at least $75,000 budgeted. Because the reason is, and it's not just about paying me, it's also about paying your auditor, paying a transfer agent, and then finally, and, and probably even more important than any of those things, is paying somebody to do the marketing for it. If you don't have money set aside for marketing the offering, there's no point in being in doing it. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that you have a marketing budget before I do the legal work, because otherwise you're just going to be sitting on some glorious Regulation A documents with nowhere, with no money in it whatsoever. <laughs> so, you know. Excellent. Um so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have on the phone today here on Real Life Real Estate, the, one of the nation's top experts on how you actually can raise private money. So far, it sounds like what we've been talking about is how you probably don't want to raise private money. But she actually knows a lot about how to effectively do it as well. So this is a great chance to get in here with your questions at 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight. You can also go to our website as always, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You can ask ask questions on the website, but if you want Jillian to answer them, it needs to be in like the next twenty minutes. That's realliferealestate.com. Just click the ask a question button, fill in your question, and send it on over. And do tell us, make sure you tell us what state you're writing from, because that actually makes a big difference in the discussion today. Uh, that's realliferealestate.com. We'll be by, right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Jillian Sidoti of Trowbridge and Sidoti and author of The Crowdfunding Myth, Legally and Effectively Raising Money for Your Business. Uh, we're talking about the brand spanking new rulings uh, on the Jobs Act. This is one of those laws that, like Dodd-Frank, kind of got released one painful piece at a time over a lot of years. And Sounds like it's finally done, hopefully finally done. But it also sounds, uh, Jillian, like it's this this new thing. Just it, it's great if you're trying to buy a shopping mall or a great big apartment building or like a bazillion dollar package of notes. But if you what you want to buy is single family homes, it's probably overkill and something that you can't afford to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably is. I mean, I, I do. Believe it or not, we do turn away people who want to do Regulation A's um, because I don't want anybody out there wasting money on something that's not worth their time. There's there's still plenty of ways to raise private capital out there without you know doing a full blown Regulation A offering or even doing a 506C. The traditional method of raising capital still works. Okay, so let's talk about what that is. Let's just you know, let's say you're talking to your your typical successful RIA member from somewhere in the country who owns 30 or 40 houses, they're way past the point where the banks want to give them any money. 
And yet they've got lots of houses they can still buy, and they just want to get people's money together and borrow it at, you know, 6% interest and go buy houses with it. What is what is the thing they should be doing? Well, first, they should still be avoiding using general solicitation. Um, if you're going to be using any money that's not accredited money or you don't want to verify that it is accredited money, then you need to not, you need to refrain from going on Facebook or LinkedIn or Craigslist or at the front of your RIA group meeting and saying, hey, I'm looking for investor capital. That is considered a general solicitation and it can lead you down a, a dark path, my friend. So stay away. Um, the second part is they need to provide proper disclosure to their potential investors prior to taking their capital. So what does proper disclosure mean? It means they need to tell them all the risks associated with investing and all the details associated with the investing. The, the investor needs to know how much they're investing, who they're investing with, why they're investing, where their money's going to go, when they're going to get their money back, and how much money they're going to make. And those are the things that you need to express to your investors so that they are fully informed prior to giving you money. Okay, okay. And what is the mechanism for this? Like, are, are we are we doing something with the SEC? Are we doing something with the state? Are we just doing the traditional, what we call private mortgage, where it's one mm-hmm. investor mm-hmm. per deal? How, how, how are we setting this up? So even if you do a private mortgage, that's a very typical thing. And this is quite, <laughs> you want to know, it's funny, this is my third interview today about private mortgage investing, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And it's still, I can't believe it's still such a, uh, a misunderstood um, entity or thing. Private mortgages are securities and securities laws still apply. And so if you're going out and looking for private lenders, and I don't care who you've heard it from before, I know there's a lot of bad information out there, and I'm here to tell you that if you get one investor per property, that does not exempt you from providing proper disclosure to your investors. And it also, in many states, does not exempt you from filing a Form D with the state, letting them know that you're using an exemption from registration of that security. And if you cross state lines, there is no federal exemption you need to file a Form D with the Securities Exchange Commission. So, in other words, if you stay in one state, you can use the state's rules and and do that and provide proper disclosure in that state. If you cross state lines, then you need to provide uh, proper disclosure according to the federal government and then file a Form D in the state where your investor resides depending on what the rules are in that state. There's very few states with self, what are called self-executing exemption for private mortgages. One of those states is Colorado. Um, but but a lot of states do not have an exemption. And I know you're going to ask me Ohio, and I don't know it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not going to ask you Ohio because we are we are a national program here on real life real estate and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody who's listening, go check your own state. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Check your own state. And you can always email me, and, 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 and hopefully, you know, I might have the answer for you right away. And if I do, I'll be happy to provide it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I were to play devil's advocate here, I would mm-hmm. say that there are thousands of private mortgage transactions probably per day right. going on out in the world. 
where it's right. just, you know, Joe from the real estate club met Sally from the real estate club and Sally had some money and Joe had a house and they just kind of made their deal and shook their hands and they almost never go bad. You know, it's not <laughs> even even well, even when I am I am always more afraid for the lenders in those situations than I am for the borrowers because I've seen so many times when the lender doesn't know how to protect themselves and they don't know what documents should be in place and what insurance should be in place but of course yeah neither here nor there even even when the loan defaults or it doesn't pay back as expected or it doesn't pay back in full we're not seeing lawsuits flying back and forth we're not not seeing you know state sec stepping in on on all of these deals so what what what's the big deal? I mean, why 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 do we get why why should we be worried about this if it's happening all the time and hardly anybody's getting in trouble? Well, I, the, the analogy I always use I always use the analogy of I oftentimes excuse me uh, we'll call this guy Joe Joe my friend Joe often drives down the highway at eighty miles per hour even though the speed limit is seventy miles per hour and he's not causing any harm. And he's not getting caught, and he'll probably do it again. <laughs> he might not get caught for a very long time until there's a speed trap there. And when he gets caught by that speed trap, then he's going to get a ticket, and it's going to be an expensive ticket, and, and he's going to have to go to traffic court or, or take you know traffic school here in California with traffic school. So his insurance is going to go up. And see, so that's the risk Joe is taking by racing down the highway at 80 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone and it's the same concept you know the police can't be everywhere the fcc can't be everywhere the state security departments can't be everywhere and and why are lawsuits not going back and forth well because think about it that private lender didn't hire an attorney to read those docs and do the due diligence they're certainly not going to take more money out of pocket to run after money that's already gone to pay an attorney to sue that person. That's not a good use of their capital. And if they weren't willing to use the capital to research the investment beforehand, then they're most likely not going to use that capital to sue somebody afterwards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as I understand it, when, when the SEC, and it's very often the state SEC, not the federal SEC, does go mm -hmm. poking around into somebody's files, it it ain't it ain't a ticket in your insurance going up and traffic school. It's tens no. of thousands <laughs> of dollars. Oh, it's it's rotten. It's like and when people say to me all the time, they'll say to me, Jillian, you know, I've been doing it this way forever and I'm not gonna change because I'm not gonna pay a lot of money to get all these legal docs done and I've been doing fine and all my investors are happy and so therefore I'm not listening to you. And I have people literally say that to me. To which I say to them, well, you can pay me a little money now to do it right, or you can pay me a lot of money later to fix it, because that's really what comes, what happens. And 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 truthfully, if if you're listening out there, I'd be less concerned about the feds and more concerned about the states, because the states have nothing better to do with their time than to look for people who are violating the law and collect penalties and fines for that. That's how they operate, is collecting penalties and fines. And there's people so in jail. I mean, there's people in, there's people in prison right. for, 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 That's for exactly right. literally doing nothing, quote, worse than lots of private loans. Right, right. I mean, you and I mutually know somebody in Colorado who went to jail for that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it happens all the time.
it happens all the time. And then once they start digging, it just it just takes you know you spending the wrong dollar in the wrong place for them to scream fraud. Yep. Yep. All right, very good. Uh, we have some questions starting to come in via uh, realliferealestate.com. If you have questions about raising money, the right ways to raise money, it don't, I mean, Jillian sounds very scary right now because she's on the phone and you can't <laughs> see her and she's actually very nice, and but she's being, you know, <laughs> she's being very definite about some of these bad things that she can do. But she also uh, has a lot to say about how to, once you have your paperwork in place, how to approach people with money and how to do the things that uh, you need to do correctly uh, in order to attract money into your business. So any questions you have along those lines, 877-772-9658. You can also send them via uh, com. So just go to that website and fill in the form there. Um, questions. Wow. Some of these are fairly sophisticated questions. Uh, all right. So here's one from JC in Las Vegas. He says, mm-hmm. ask Jillian about what it takes to start your own crowdfunding portal <laughs> mm-hmm. and why you might or might not want to do that. Why pay the crowdfunding, por- uh, the crowdfunding portal 1% to raise money for you instead spend $200,000 creating your own crowdfunding portal? <laughs> Well, okay, so those are all really great questions, and there's a couple of different ways to answer it. It depends on how your crowdfunding portal is going to be created. If you're doing a crowdfunding portal under 506C, um, you can buy a license for software from a variety of sources uh, and set up your own white, like, because a lot of these software companies will white label their software for you, and you can just buy it from them and and then you know you can hire an attorney to make sure it's it's set up right so if you do that um you, you can be good to go on a 506c crowdfunding portal or regulation a crowdfunding portal or a combination of the two or you can set up a true blue crowdfunding portal under regulation cf and that's those form c's we were talking about um and that you have to get, you have to apply to both FINRA and the SEC to do those crowdfunding portals. So you could you could do all three conceivably. You just have to register one type, and the other two, it, it's as easy as getting a. Well, I don't want to make it sound that easy, but <laughs> <laughs> you can get a software package going, put it all together, and, and be up and running in, in no time. Interesting. So yeah, do it. it. The the big thing about crowdfunding portals is the marketing. Again, back to that marketing thing. Yeah. It's so so it's not that if you build it they will come. You actually have to tell it's, them it's it there. It's huh? not a way, if you build it they will come. You got to you got to build some real serious stuff that makes sense for people to travel to and put their money into. Mhm. Mhm. A uh, question here from Mark who good boy says he's in Ohio. <laughs> and then asks a question that I suspect is the same in every state. He says, please ask Jillian whether a seller-held mortgage is the same under securities law as a third-party private mortgage, and if they're treated differently, what is the difference? A seller-held mortgage. So um, so it's a owner um It's an owner financing. finance deal, yeah. No, no, yeah, no money actually, changed hands. It was the property yeah, changed owner, hands. Yeah, owner financing, totally separate. It's, there's a separate exemption for owner financing. Okay. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to start making disclosures. The owner knows the risks associated with taking a note on their own property. 
All right. Um, question here from Nancy in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, is the is there some discussion about the SEC changing the accredited investor definition and where do you think that might be going, if anywhere? Uh, I hope. <laughs> Was that a more discussed? Could I have a more discussed answer to that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, there has been discussion. The SEC put forth this whole study that they did. Um, I talk about it in my book about that study. Um, they did this whole study on on what the what accredited investor looks like and how they propose to change it. They want to increase the accredited investor requirements so that you have to be even richer to be an accredited investor, but that they'll also carve out like a professional or experience exemption. So if you have so much experience or a particular professional designation, such as a CPA or an attorney, then you can perhaps become an accredited investor. I wrote a scathing letter to the SEC during their comment period over this, telling them that I thought it was incredibly inappropriate to increase the uh, wealth factor in accredited investors because already, and it depends on the statistics that you're looking at, already only 3%, it's somewhere between 3% and 10% of the population in the United States is accredited. So, in other words, it's inherently unfair to those who are unaccredited and also those people, those issuers or those entrepreneurs who are trying to raise capital because you just, you by increasing those income and wealth requirements, you're really shrinking that market. And that's, I mean, if we're already complaining about wealth dichotomy in this country, it's only going to get worse if that passes. Yeah, it does seem a little paternalistic to say you can you can go to the casino right with your entire net worth in your pocket mm-hmm. and you can put it all on red mm-hmm. and nobody's going to stop you no matter how much your net worth is correct <laughs> but but if you if you would like to do a small you know hard money loan because you know here in here in Ohio I know it's different where you live but here in Ohio there is a need for private mortgages in the fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar range. You don't have you don't have to have a million dollars in order to to play in that field here in Ohio, but you're almost not allowed to by the law unless you're rich. But you can go buy lottery tickets. So what's what's it's- Oh, so unfair. It's so unfair. It's like this extremely risky. Well, never mind. I'm not going to get into that because now I'm going to get all political. <laughs> <laughs> Very, yeah, we, we unfortunately, unfortunately, we, we did that last week on the show and there's like this limit on public radio to how often you can like go, go all bonkers politically. Yeah, what, I, what I would say is probably wouldn't be very helpful. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My host is, or my host. I'm just going to hand this over to you, Jillian. Okay. You're doing such a good job here. <laughs> My guest is Jillian Sedoti, who is a an attorney out of California who specializes in assisting um, businesses, including real estate investors, in the process of legally raising money, both through doing various types of filings and through teaching about marketing and so on. Uh, we're going to take questions after this break at 877-772-9658. You can also send your question via our contact form by going to realliferealestate.com. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jillian Sidoti of Trowbridge and Sidoti. Am I saying that right, Jillian? I feel like I'm leaving a name out there or something, but that's what it says on your no. Nope, that's right. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Trowbridge and Sedoti, author of The Crowdfunding Myth, which you can get by going to wmkvfm.org. Up at the top, there's the little Amazon logo. Click there, and it will take you through to Amazon. And then when you order, WMKV gets a little bit of money. It's kind of like crowdfunding public radio. Like, just... You know, Amazon takes most of the money, but gives a little bit of it to WMKV. So do it that way. Um, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Michael on line one in Florida. Michael, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Michael. Hello. Yeah. Hi, Michael. I was just calling in to see. Hi. I was wondering to know how many years do you have to go back against a real estate company that might have falsified some information about the square footage of your house when you first bought it? what's the what's so you're in florida right yes and and what's the difference between what they said you were getting and what you actually got right uh well it's about 250 square foot uh-huh yeah i've heard of i've heard of cases like this like i like i just read one that somebody won in i don't know someplace in the northeast and so on but i believe and jillian can correct me if i'm wrong that the statute of limitations that you're asking about is going to be based on a state-by-state -state thing and that you probably need to talk to a local Florida attorney. Is that correct? That's absolutely okay. correct. Yeah, and also 250 square feet. I mean, the question would have to become, were you defrauded and, and, and have you been damaged by that 250 square feet? Like how much per square foot extra could you have made on your house if you sold it or how much less could you have paid for it? And does that consequently amount to, you know, suable damages? Um, but if you want to email me, I can introduce you to a Florida attorney. I'm not sure. I hate to pontificate on things I don't know much about, which is this. <laughs> but I'm not sure okay. how much of a no case you have. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna and you're gonna end up, Michael, having to ask yourself the question: is the is the cost of the litigation? And 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 by the way, the soul-sucking nature of the litigation, because it's never fun to be in court, even when you're the one suing, uh, worth whatever the difference is in price here. Because, the, you know, everyone's going to be trying to point at everybody else. The, the realtor is going to be saying, no, that's yeah. what the seller told me. The seller is going to be saying, yeah, but you're the realtor. You should have known. The title company is going to be saying, we don't have insurance over this. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be this whole big thing. And the well, question... The worst part about it, the worst part about it is, I went with his advice to hire the home inspector also, and the home inspector should have disclosed this also. You know what I mean? But these people down here, you know, are actually doing it all the time. And that's that's the thing I don't like about it. I mean, I went to a couple of houses already that they said was, you know, certain square footage, and you walk in there and the people disclose that they're not. So hmm. I, you know, I don't want to put all the realtors down, but, you know, there's a, there's a few chasers. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And again, this this kind of suit is is, you know, getting more and more common, especially in high in higher end houses where, you know, 250 square feet could actually mean a lot of money. But, you know, talk, talk to a local Florida attorney about what your statute of limitations looks like on that and then say, what's this going to cost me? Really? Because I don't think I don't think any attorney is going to be taking this on a contingency. I don't think they're going to say, "Yeah, you can pay me if I no. win." No, there's no way. There's right. no way anybody would take yeah, that. Yeah, I would probably just get a hold of the state attorney general. You know what I mean? Because I mean, the guy's been doing it quite a bit, 
and I know some other associates with him are, you know, kind of collaborating with him. So I think I'll just turn them all in and, you know, be done with it. I really don't care about, you know, my behalf, but the future of a lot of people. And a lot of people does not, you know, speak fluent English down here, and they've taken a lot of advantage of those people also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, well, good luck. Good luck, Michael. Uh, all right. Appreciate Thanks your call much. and appreciate you listening. Uh, question here, Jillian. You, hey, you said, before I read you this question, let me remind you that you said <laughs> if you are looking to do this in a particular state, let me know and maybe I'll have the answer. And so, of course, we've got this question. Russell would like <laughs> to know, what are the laws around crowdfunding in Connecticut? Um, any any state in the Northeast in general is not super um, friendly. I mean, like the crowd, crowdfunding laws are federally based for the most part. Um, each state now is starting to carve out their own little crowdfunding exemptions. It doesn't really matter, however, uh, if you're in a state that's really small, like Connecticut, because there's way too much crossover. So I used to have a lot of, uh, I'm originally from Boston, so I've had a lot of clients out of New England in general. And, um, you know, any time I tried to do something in Massachusetts or New Hampshire, it was, it was, just, it was just a nightmare. So you really, first of all, you got to really rely on the federal rules, and then you also have to understand that the Northeast has some of the worst laws in the country, some of the harshest state regulators. Um, New Hampshire and Massachusetts are notorious, and I know you're asking about Connecticut specifically, um, but they're all pretty, pretty rough there. And, and just a, a quick story about New England. Uh, there was this little company back in the 80s that did a public offering and tried to sell that public offering in the state of Massachusetts. And the state, the Secretary of State, I think it's run by the Secretary of State there, in Massachusetts said that the, the offering was too risky for the residents of Massachusetts and would not allow it for sale in the state of Massachusetts. And that company was Apple. <laughs> Yes, thank goodness. Go. Thank goodness the state uh, protected all of those poor people from getting really rich. Super protection. <laughs> it's so, so I think, you know, it's so funny because I recently went to Silicon Valley and I went to the computer museum there and I, I drove in and the parking lot was empty and there was two huge parking lots just for Teslas. Like you park the Tesla and charge it there. Huge parking lots. And I was just kind of, I kind of chuckled to myself. I was like, look at that huge parking lot for Teslas. And I come back out and the entire, like it was so filled with Teslas. There was no room for Teslas anymore that some of the Teslas had to park with us uh, schlubs over in the regular parking. (laughs) But none of those Teslas were owned by people from Massachusetts because they didn't get to buy in at the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) All right. We have one more, we have one more quick question here and it actually is going to have to be quick because we only have about two minutes left in the program. Uh, this person has asked to remain anonymous for reasons that will become clear um, when I stop this long introduction and actually read the question. Uh, he is in Ohio. He recently purchased a property and used money from a friend of his that lived in another state and did not know any of this and had not heard you and now needs to know if there is something that he should do to undo it or file a form D or what now, now that it's already happened, is there some way to save this apparently one lender, one mortgage deal? Leave it alone. Just let it be. 
Um, just make sure that your investor is, you know, fully aware of what they got into. That's really the most important thing. Uh, you know, you really do have to have a perfect storm of terribleness in order to truly have a problem. Having one investor period is not a problem. Having multiple investors on multiple properties around the country, that's a different situation that I would have you call me about. But for right now, just leave it alone, let the deal flesh out, and don't do it again. Okay. Okay. So don't don't do it again. That's that's Jillian's advice. All right. Uh, we are, I believe, about out of time here. So I want to remind folks again, go to wmkvfm.org if you'd like to get your hands on Jillian's book, The Crowdfunding Myth, Legally and Effectively Raising Money for Your Business. Just click on the Amazon button there on wmkvfm.org. Jillian, thank you so much for joining us today and updating us on uh, crowdfunding and raising money. And we always appreciate you. You're always just a font of great information and also a little bit of scariness. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for thanks for stopping by today and we will talk to you again in the future or we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm-hmm.